0: Bluff. Welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Richer Geek Podcast. I have Bob Frazier here. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing great or is it Robert do you mind Robert or Bob Bob is great um, Bob is in note investing, and that's one of those topics where I think i've I've heard so much of like the third party is it good is it bad is it you're competing with everybody in the kitchen sink you know so let's uh let's get into the pros the cons the fact the fiction uh, tell me a little bit about yourself Bob and what got you into note investing
1: all right well you know uh, I am a geek so I'm actually a computer scientist from UC Berkeley believe it or not so <laughs> so I, I get the idea of uh, what you're trying to do and I, I just appreciate folks uh, you know uh, trying to basically rather than trading time for money, Trading money for money, right, and getting your mo- putting your money to work. But uh, so I actually worked as a computer programmer in Silicon Valley for many, many years. And uh, in the late '90s, uh, started a tech startup and it blew up. It, it raised forty-four million dollars in venture capital, and then uh, uh, hired three hundred employees. And then I lost everything in the, in the dot-com crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, really got interested um, in in real estate. Um, realizing that the public markets, which was my exit, were, were just were fickle. And you look now, it's like, what's the public market? What's the stock market going to do today, tomorrow? You just, you, you do not know. And and worse than that, it's faddish. It's very fad-driven, you know? And you look at, you know, there's, you can buy a bank right now for, for you know, 50%, 50 cents of its book value that are, and they're, they're yielding, you know, 9% yield. And they're, underpriced like why well somebody decided it's out of favor and it's just ridiculous so so all those things led me into real estate where something gets a little more predictable right you know Uh you know I'm kind of a control freak in a good sense that I like to control my income right I want I want to be able to turn the dog and the knobs and the dials and and dial in my you know my my income and not have it be driven by forces outside of my control. So that led me to to real estate and specifically real estate debt. Um, so my my partner, uh, you know, who uh, founded uh, Aspen Funds with me, well, he was a real estate guy, and so he was actually a developer in California, and lost everything in the Great Crash in 2008. And so uh, so he 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 brought his real estate bruises. I brought my, my public market bruises and, uh, and we decided to do something completely different. And he, he realized, you know, as a developer, the guys that made the money are the debt guys, right? The mm. equity guys, uh, you know, the debt guys are the ones that don't really lose, right? And so when he lost absolutely everything, millions and millions of dollars, he, lost, he gave, he gave the, the, the keys, so to speak, to the land. The land dropped 75% of its value, undeveloped land you know in the crash and he he gave the title back to the lenders and guess what the lenders did just fine you know so we figured out that you know wait a minute let's be the lender right there's a reason why banks you know have the the tallest buildings in town and you know it's good to be a bank and that's that's what you are when you're a lender why not be the bank and uh Mm. so we kind of we kind of uh got into that and then found some very unique niches. So there's a lot of ways to do lending as you're well aware. And some are very, very boring and don't make much money. Others are, you know, a little more exciting. And uh, they have
0: have all the power, don't they? You know, even now Mm -hmm. with with COVID, you know, um, everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, most people that are in the real estate profession, as far as investors uh, carry debt. Uh, It's because they want to leverage, right? So, you know, you always tell people, well, you need to leverage and you want to because you can buy more with your money. Right. But there comes a price to that. And and you're looking with me, even in the hotel sector, there's a lot of hotels that are going to go under because it will never recover. And like you said, I think it was, you, you hit the nail on the head that the banks will be okay. Those securities, those people that own those notes will be Okay. Exactly. And it'll it'll be the, the small business owner that'll
1: the, hotel the small business owners get creamed get the equity, creamed the equity guys, and so we figured out we want to be on the debt side, mm-hmm. and what's more, so we, we figured out to go into and so the debt side there's of course the big world of commercial now that's that's where the giants play right mm-hmm. and the yields are super low and nothing I'm interested in doing there, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know uh, then there's the residential side. And in residential side, you have a lot of uh, a lot of um, what's called a first, uh, for, you know, trustees funds. So these are like hard money lenders. So there's a lot of those those kind of guys out there, and the yields are good. You know, you can get double digit returns in a, as a passive investor in those things, or you can write your own notes, and they're they're good. But there's there's this fatal flaw in those things, and the fatal flaw is they're highly cyclical. Okay, so so although still as a lender you're you're not going you're not going to do as bad as as the, the equity guys but they're still risky if you if you bought a bunch of land uh, you know you lent on a bunch of land in uh, in California in 2006 you know you're 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 going to have trouble with that you're going to be holding that for a while it's going to be a pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and or a partially developed property that gets handed back to you, you know, because you lent a little too much, a little aggressively on it. Um, so, so we we don't we don't do a lot of that. Um, and there's a difference between lending to an investor and lending to a homeowner. See, so our 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 sweet spot is mm-hmm. is is buying um mortgages for homes. Uh, okay. where people own or occupied real estate. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a lot different. So, so right. If your house, if you looked up Zillow and your house, you've suddenly realized your equity is low or you have very little equity. You can, you can like talk to your wife and say, okay, we're leaving, honey. Here, let's hand the keys to the bank. Let's go drop the keys. You're not going to do that. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, you have a job, you have a schools, so you have kids, you got friends, you're not doing that. Now, in a, if you're a, so so, there's this sticky factor in owner-occupied real estate, where where the foreclosure rates are actually not correlated to the price of homes. Believe it or not, hmm. Closure rates are correlated to the job market, and which makes sense, right? The only the only way you hand over your home is if the job you lose your job, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we love owner-occupied real estate, and it's super sticky, and it doesn't have the same cyclicality. So, so one of the you know one of the fun things about having big craters in your life, you know, in my past and Jim's past is you you, you really learned you know what let's dodge a couple of these craters for the future you know <laughs> let's get a, let's get a map yeah. a course yeah uh, going to not land a, you know not end up nuclear you know and um, so so we've really designed models that you know you know are much more robust.
0: Okay. So let's talk about specifically when, cause you know, let's get in some details exactly what it is that you do. You're talking about you're, you're becoming the lender, you're becoming the mortgage. Uh, are is it the fact that you're um, you're buying the underperforming notes from institutional lenders or are you going through, you know, what exactly?
1: Right. So, so, in the niche, we're in residential. Then yep. we go one more niche into distressed residential. Okay. So we buy we buy notes where the borrowers had a hiccup. Mm-hmm. So maybe bar had a divorce, medical problem, job loss, but those things are not permanent for most people. So mm-hmm. they get back on track, they modify their loan, they start paying in accordance with their terms. So these are good loans, it could Mm -hmm. be a great property, but the borrower had a past hiccup, okay? Um, And that does make it riskier, okay? Mm -hmm. But doesn't mean it's a bad loan. I mean, what what if it's a $100,000 loan on a million dollar house? Well, what do you care (laughs) what the score is, you know? you're, are you going to lose anything? So, so that's our, that's our rationale. We're going after distressed debt and we buy them at deep discounts. So maybe a guy owes a hundred thousand dollars. We'll pay 50 for it, but he still owes us a hundred. Mm-hmm. You follow me? So, are you, are you
0: buying these on individual basis or are you buying tranches? Both. Both.
1: But, but each note is individually underwritten. Yeah. And uh, so we, okay. we do very careful underwriting of each, each note. But you know, we do buy bulk, you know, in the early days we bought mostly ones, mm-hmm. but today we're buying we're buying mostly bulk. Uh, and we typically buy from hedge funds and other oh. other folks. So so here here's kind of the cycle. So a loan gets originated by a big bank, gets sold to Fannie Freddie, et cetera. Borrow gets in trouble. These loans are bundled up or debundled from mm-hmm. their from their from their their securitization structures. Um, and they 're sold off to a hedge fund or some other some other big player like like that, and then they bifurcate these and how how they want to do that, but ultimately, some of these loans end up the borrower says hey i don 't kick me out of my house, I want to live here i I can pay and somehow those get worked out, and then what happens is those are almost always sold mm-hmm. and those are sold, and that 's that 's what we buy, so we buy primarily from hedge funds and other financial institutions where the borrower said, you know, uh, I want to stay in my home. So, you know, and for us, we do that. We're doing people a favor. You know, we're, 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 we're not kicking you out of your home. You know, <laughs> we're, we're buying this paper that someone else may not want to buy. And we're basically going to help you, you know, stay in your home. And, uh, and uh, so we, we buy these at deep discounts. Here, here's just an example. This is a real loan we own. It's a little upstate New York house. House is worth, you know, about a about $100,000. He owes about $100,000 on this little house, okay? pays $569 a month, okay, <laughs> plus as a principal and interest payment. Well, we actually paid $50,000 for this, okay? So, so, and so, so he's paying, I think it's like a 7% interest rate, the note is, but because we paid $0.50, 50 cents on the dollar, we're actually earning double that. We're earning 14 yield. You follow me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're earning a
1: 14 yield on this. Now he doesn't know that we paid 50,000 for this. He, he gets the statements. It shows his, you know, from our servicer mm-hmm. it shows he owes a hundred thousand. And if he were to stop paying, so we end up having to take possession of that house, you know, uh, worst case scenario, which we don't do very often, but sometimes we have to do that. Um, we would put it back in the market. Maybe we only get 75,000 for that house. We actually still make money. Mm -hmm. So, so plus you had some fourteen percent until until you know in a default scenario. And here's here's the other thing is ultimately what's going to happen is that guy is going to he's got a seven percent rate. Why would anybody keep a seven percent rate right now? Well, you go refi. Well, if he gets refi,ed I get a check uh, from the new lender as a bank, (laughs) and and I don't get a fifty thousand dollar payoff. I get a hundred thousand dollar payoff. So I double my money. You you follow me? Now, that's, you know, this is assuming everything works out great. So I'm earning 14% current yield until I earn 100% return at some point. And worst case scenario, if something goes bad, I still make money. So that's what it means to be a bank, right? Banks don't lose very often. Now, uh,
0: how do you get around or do you have to deal with – like the Dodd Frank Act, you know, or, or is, is there some securities involved, or do you have someone? You know, the Dodd Frank Act is was uh, put in place, I think, twenty twelve, about how individuals can act as banks. Is it because you own the note and you're not actually
1: like? Yeah, we're not. We're not actually a bank, um, so we're we're a lender. Um, we don't really have anything to do with Dodd Frank. There are there are regulations, so mm-hmm. you know, we don't service the loans. Mm-hmm. um ourselves we hire a licensed mortgage servicer
0: there you go
1: okay they're licensed in all 50 states so they yep. literally send you know we pay them 30 dollars a month <clears throat> per loan and they send the statements they calculate the 1098s if it's an adjustable rate mortgage they calculate all that they make sure the late fees are accurate you know they collect the payments and they do all this just that stuff That you know, super, they, and they send their reports to the states and all that. And then I'm just the lender. I get, I get a check from them. So (laughs) it's very, very simple, but, but yeah, there are, there are laws you want to be aware of, you know, you know, you have to be, to be a mortgage lender, which we are in some states required to be licensed. So you definitely should check with attorneys, you know, and if you're going to be talking to a borrower, there's CFPB rules. These are, these are consumers are highly protected by our, by our government regulators as they should be, and um, and and so you, you you definitely want to watch what you say. You just really need to be trained, or not talk to the to the borrowers, basically.
0: So or deal with someone like you who is taking care of all that. Yeah, sort absolutely. Of yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> and, exactly which and, is, instead of going know. at it, you know, alone, and and uh, you know, which brings us to the point where um, you do only fund. You do have. Um, yeah, that's right where people can we have
1: an income fund pays current current yields paying nine percent um you know on a monthly basis right now and here's the other cool thing about this this is this is where we're very unique in the Mm -hmm. real estate world okay so our fund has you know 500 loans in it right roughly well about eight percent of our portfolio self-liquidates every year as people sell their home or refinance right they move they refi right Hmm. about eight percent so i have an internal liquidity mechanism so this thing itself self liquidates eight percent per year Wow. so basically we build in a liquidity program for investors we basically have a have a net asset value we calculate um uh for each share you know each Mm -hmm. unit which has only gone up in our eight years of history um which i like i hate the stock market you know (laughs) you never know which direction it's going that's right and we allow investors to get their money back at any quarter um, at the okay. at quarter and at any any quarter just with notice so so we have basically pretty much full liquidity now if everybody wants their money back all at once you know well we're not going to be able to do that but but I've never missed a liquidity request ever mm-hmm. so, accredited investors what's that accredited accredited Invest- only yeah. yeah yes so and uh, so I'm glad our our regulators are softening up those requirements. It is kind of, kind of silly that that money is the only the only thing that can qualify you. Well, it's the only thing that qualify you. Can no make, yeah, No experience. It's investment decision, right? right? I mean, come on, really? So you got a degree yeah. in finance, you can't qualify? You know, you know
0: exactly. Yeah, I, I did see that regulation come out. Was a couple of weeks ago. Those yeah. new rules. And, you yeah, yeah, know, all this kind of dancing,
1: yeah, it's, it's so much because it's, it's still not big enough. I mean, there's only if you're licensed, if you're licensed, it's like, really? Or yeah. an null employee. Okay. Again, so you got a finance degree. You're a CPA. You're, you're a lawyer. You can't, you're not even qualified, you know? Much yeah, less real
0: estate attorney. And you, you real estate still attorney. Not. <laughs> you're still
1: not qualified. You're, no, you're not smart enough to make your own decision. <laughs> it right. must be protected by the state. You know, That's I'm right. much more of a you know, look, let people make their own decision. And, uh, you know, we let's protect the little old ladies, but boy, we yeah. sure don't have to protect the, the real estate attorneys, right?
0: Well, and yeah, there's so many people. It, it's, it's what everyone says is is just because you have done something for a long period of time doesn't mean you're good at doing it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, but so let's jump into, uh,
1: do you touch second lanes? Absolutely. I'd rather buy a second than a first.
0: Ah, so let's, uh, let's, okay. That's probably piqued some of our uh, viewers interest.
1: (laughs) I I know. Uh, Let's talk
0: about second liens. Go ahead and tell me what it is in case they don't know. And why in the world would I do a second lien?
1: Exactly. And I am so glad everybody hates second (laughs) liens because I buy them for nothing and boy, are they God. Um, So you know, there's no such thing as a bad loan, only a bad price. Okay, so, <clears throat> so, uh, so. Secondly, what is a second lien? Of course, when you go buy a home, you talk to a bank, you take out a mortgage. That's generally a first lien, and it means they're first in priority. So, if that home ends up having to be foreclosed, the first lien gets paid 100% before any other lien gets paid a single dime. So they're senior in all in all in all factors. A second lien. So let's say uh, you go out and get a home equity line of credit <clears throat> on your on your house um, and to do a remodel or something, you would get a second lien. Now that second lien only gets paid um, on anything that's left over in a foreclosure scenario at auction after the first lien is fully satisfied. So it's it's the risk profile is much greater, mm. but, but that does it not necessarily. So let's say you have, let's take a $300,000 house. Okay. And a hundred thousand dollar first and a hundred thousand dollar second. Okay? okay. So the hundred thousand dollar first, let's say I could sell you that Mike hundred thousand dollar first. I would sell it to you for $99,000 and it's got a three and a half percent yield on it. So you're going to earn three percent of your money. You know, pretty boring, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you're going to think about something better. Yeah. Uh, but you could buy a second mortgage, a hundred thousand dollar second mortgage, and I'll say you that for sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And and not only that, but the mm-hmm. interest rate is a seven percent interest rate. Mm-hmm. So so you're but you're earning seven percent. Let's say it's just to make the numbers easy. You're you're it's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar mortgage that I sold you for $50,000 at a 7% rate. So you're earning a uh, 14% yield on your money. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Now, is it mm-hmm. riskier? Well, foreclosure scenario, the first is going to get paid and the second is going to get paid. You follow me? It's no riskier yeah. no riskier, but the discounts are insane. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the risk, see, so here's the thing about a, a first lien is you look at the, the value of the property, and the size of the lane. Super simple. Mm-hmm. A, a, sec, a second, a second lane is a sliding scale. It could be just the same as a first if it's a lot of equity above you. Right. But, or it could be super risky if it's, you know, you're not covered by equity. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's, there's a sliding scale. So that's the thing about seconds is they're, they're no, they're not, they're not as simple as first. There's a sliding scale. You choose your risk.
0: Yeah.
1: And that changes the price dramatically. I don't buy loans that have no equity, that, that, that are not fully covered or 80%. We, call it, we have an ITV scale, investment to value ratio, that are above 80%. We, do, we just don't buy them. But mm. let's say you did, you could earn a 20% yield on those things. So you, the price would go way down. So all they got to do is if they pay for three years, you've got your money back. You follow me? Yeah. So the price of these things is just all over the map. Uh, based okay. on the quality of the borrower and the quality of the home and, and the equity position.
0: So, do you stay away from zero equity
1: notes, or or are they? Absolutely, we don't. We don't buy those.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: We don't buy those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're not interested in. You know, we don't go that far out. We we don't want to. You know. You know.
0: Well, you're assuming we, that there's. There has to be uh, an upward trend if you get to zero equity, right? There has yeah, to
1: be. and and that's just that's super risky. Yeah, and we just don't have to buy those, so we don't. Um, and you're asking for if you do that, we 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 basically really try to build a very bulletproof portfolio mm-hmm. uh, that's both high yield and fairly bulletproof. Of course, there's no guarantees, and no one knows what the future holds. I can't tell anybody I have a perfect crystal ball, but having two craters in our background, we're we're pretty crater shy. And, and we really want to, you know, we've done all the stress testing we can possibly do and all the models we could possibly do for these, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if any of your, you know, listeners have a finance background, but we actually do a, we actually, when our underwriting, we actually do a discounted cash flow. We, we actually map out every possible outcome for this loan, mm-hmm. including default foreclosure, senior default, payoff in year, you know, two, year, three, year, four. Every outcome, and we come up with a discounted cash flow on a value for that note, if that's the outcome, then we weigh those based on our experience and we come up with a weighted discounted cash flow, value this. that let's, We call it the intrinsic value, which is what the mathematics would say this loan is worth, okay, mathematically speaking. Guess what? We have never paid that number. The discount is always greater than that. That tells you how inefficient the market is. So wow. we're, we're always buying these below intrinsic value. And we, we even model a 30 to 40% default rate, which we have never experienced. You know, it's only our default rate has only hit and defaults are temporary. You know, it's a it's delinquency rates really only have only hit a 9% you know, and then Mm -hmm. right now they're back down to about seven. And these are people that just fall behind and then they reinstate. It's not a permanent default, Mm -hmm. but we're not even close to that. We, we've, we've, we've booked a or or modeled a 40% default rate (laughs) and, you know, (laughs) and that's the way we underwrite and we've still never paid that for, for a loan. So it just tells you the market is super inefficient. Yeah. And uh, so what are you uh, seeing
0: today? Um, and you know, should people you look at, okay, it's so, unpredictable you, you're talking about the nature of the public markets uh, we're talking now uh the u.s is trillions in debt we may go another two try i mean who knows you know with another stimulus all hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me that why do you say hopefully and how does how is it going to affect or does it affect what are you seeing with today's unpredictability of covid you know we just had the presidential election we may might have another two two plus trillion dollars pumped back into uh you know in in uh, relief um where are you seeing the the value
1: of notes and in my opinion bank on it okay and you know fear fear doesn't pay you know fear, fear if you're if you're afraid you're gonna be broke Okay. So you need wisdom, right? But, but, you know, JP Morgan made all of his money buying defaulted government, Russian, Russian government bonds. And his, he's famous by coining the phrase when there's blood in the streets you want to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so feared fear doesn't pay, but here's, here's, here's the fact. And this is actually a great question. And, and what are probably one of the most important questions you can be asking this time, what's going to happen? Well, the one thing I can be sure is going to happen is more stimulus. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ninety-nine percent, right? Mm-hmm. The checks are going are to be written, and they, they should be written, okay? Because if, if we hadn't had the stimulus that we had, we'd be we'd be working on our second Great Depression right now,
0: yep.
1: okay? I mean, you, 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 the economy taking a thirty-five percent shock—you just can't do that, and and it becomes a spiral. And so, mm-hmm. thankfully, our economists are very sharp, and and they, they did a a, a a stimulus package, and and I can talk for more about economics and why it's not going to be a problem with debt, but. Forget that for now. Here's what happened in the 2008 crisis. Now, I, and I was primarily a hard money economist back then, and I believe we're going to see hyperinflation, et cetera, right? When they started printing money and buying debt, okay? They monetized 3.7 trillion dollars in debt. The Fed literally printed money and bought the debt. Okay, I was expecting hyperinflation, expecting gold to go up, and not none of it happened. And so, what I actually did, I actually couple, I have a couple charts I could send you. You could put in your show notes for your for your <laughs> listeners if, if you like. Absolutely, I actually showed. Okay, since two thousand eight, what happened when they when they bought all that all that all those bonds? What actually happened to the stock market, to the real estate market, to consumer price inflation? And guess what? Consumer price inflation didn't happen. We didn't see consumer price inflation. But you know what we saw? We saw real estate prices begin to go up, and 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 and, and we saw stock market begin to go up. And here's here's the truth: is printing money creates inflation. The problem, but the issue is, it doesn't create consumer price inflation. It creates asset price inflation. It so when the government's printing money, buy flipping assets. Okay, buy it, buy <laughs> anything, buy buy stocks, real estate. Any, anything that is an asset is going to go up in value because money is, going, is getting cheaper uh, relative to the price of the asset. So it's time to back up the truck and buy assets. And single-family homes are, are, have, have literally so many tailwinds behind them. And, again, I, I'm probably not on the same page as a bunch of folks, but I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, and uh, you know, so there's a huge shortage of single-family homes huge yep. massive across the United States Now maybe it's you're having surpluses in San Francisco in a couple spots but else, elsewhere single-family homes have been underbuilt for the last 15 years. almost no single-family starts yep. and and meanwhile population keeps going up and so what what's happened so 15 years ago you could have bought a piece of land, built a house, sold it and made money pretty much anywhere in America. Mm-hmm. Today, if you were to buy a piece of land, build it, and sell it, you would lose money almost, in, especially in the lower end of the markets. Why? Why is that? Well, inflation. Inflation has been going for 15 years. Mm-hmm. But the housing prices took this giant dip down, and they've still not caught up to inflation. Still not. If You actually look at the Case-Shiller Home Price Index adjusted for inflation. We're not close to the previous peak. Wow, and so ho- housing prices are going up. There, there is a there's a massive shortage of housing, relative to population, massively yep. underbuilt, to, You know, uh, rent to rent to, um, uh, sorry, the, the rent ratios to the to the mortgage rates, mm-hmm. rent versus mortgage, it's are double in many places. So, it costs twice as much to rent a home yeah. as it does to pay a P and I payment on it. What does that tell you? It's underpriced. Prices are going up single-family homes so single-family to me is the place to be um, it's it's the one that hasn't had huge run-up in prices even though the prices have been going up it's still not even close to to real value in my opinion so back up the truck it's the it's the best bet on on um, on Fed on Fed printing and and it's a bet on it's a bet on fundamentals basically Economic yeah. Fundamentals.
0: yeah it's it's very interesting it's you know, especially here in in arizona where everyone's moving to you know it's just uh, and it is crazy you're seeing all these apartments being built you're seeing right. other things being built but it's and especially affordable housing it's just it's non-existent it doesn't, so exist. It's
1: doesn't bidding, exist bidding wars massive Good. shortages and it's not going to change until uh, until uh you see prices go up until it actually becomes affordable for builders to build again, to buy a lot, build a house and sell it. It still doesn't work because inflation has been going for 14 years, 15 years. And so prices are going to go up. And the the clearest thing I can say is bet on on the housing market, bet on single family houses. You know, you look at rents again. I mean, we actually, one of the, the underwriting metrics we use for our mortgages, by the way, we, we look at what is the pI payment the total pI payment the buyer is <laughs> making relative to the rent of this home and in, in a lot of cases it's half they're not going anywhere right <clears throat> they're not going they're not going to stop paying this mortgage no matter what because if they did they got to go rent someplace and pay double
0: that's you know? right so, yeah it's just it's an amazing thing uh, two more questions before I let you go so what are some of the other sources that you're utilizing? to make your valid, you know, those, those investment decisions that you guys are making. Um, can you share some of those sources, you know, and.
1: Well, sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's everything you would do in the real estate world. So it's, mm. it's looking at the, the value of property, the, the, the property price trends. Um, but then also you add a borrower dimension. So you're pulling credit on the borrower. You're looking at their, their likelihood of pay, their debt load, et cetera looking at all, all those things and, you know, credit scores, et cetera. Uh-huh. Um, and then if it's a second, you actually have to look at the first. You have to have clear visibility on the mm-hmm. senior mortgage, how big it is, what, what the structure of it is, et cetera. So all of these things you have to put into the cooker. So it's, it's a you know, if buying rental real estate is, is, is chess, then notes are, or checkers, sorry, the notes is chess, and seconds are three-dimensional chess. You know, but uh, it's all, you know, it's all doable.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like it's especially for the viewers that uh, this has piqued their interest. And I, I say this just about every podcast. It's we want people to jump in. But kind of like you, Bob, you know, I've jumped into real estate in my earlier in my career inflamed. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I had the money to buy, but I didn't know what I was doing after I bought it. Right. Uh, so I always tell people that if you're interested in something like notes, get a mentor. Don't go out and just do it on your own. Uh, learn from someone like Bob, learn someone uh, that has done it. And um, if our viewers want to learn more about you, Bob, where can they find you?
1: Aspen, like the tree, funds, F-U-N-D-S dot U-S. Aspen funds dot U-S. And uh, yeah, so we don't have any training for that, but you know, for for we're purely passive. If you wanna have a passive kind of income stream based on notes, um, you know, then we're a good alternative for that, um, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds good. And it, you know, that's really what it's all about. Uh, I, I keep telling everyone that you want to uh, diversify your portfolio and the more passive it is, the better off you are. And you should have at least uh, six or seven different tree limbs coming off of that big trunk and your diversification. And I think uh, notes might be a big part of that. Uh, Bob, I appreciate you being on. And uh, there's another episode of The Richer Geek. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast and don't forget to jump over to apple Podcasts, google play stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes i appreciate you and thanks for listening